Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and this beer is beloved. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading Toni Morrison's Beloved, and starting with a beer. This is from Evil Twin, New York, and it's called E.T. Stay Home 9. It is a sour ale brewed with brown sugar, apple, apricot, and almond, coming in at 7% alcohol. It's like a like mm. a pie. It is pie, liquid pie. It's fantastic. Oh, fuck you for having that and not having one that I can have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've been away from New York, so I haven't been able to order any delivery from Evil Twin. You've missed like 11 iterations of E.T. Stay Home. <laughs> yep. As of the time of recording it, number 12 just came out. Oof, damn. I have had, I just ordered it up, I'll pick it up tomorrow, but I've, I've tried 6 through 11 at this point. They are, there is no rhyme or reason to them. They're not even the same style. Sometimes it's Berliner Weiss, sometimes it's a sour. But they're all kind of fruity though. They all have a ton of fruit and sugar, but they're sometimes very different styles. And it's a little joke. It, w- it started when quarantine started, because E.T. as an evil twin, stay home, but also, you know, like an E.T. pun. And uh, I see. Now the newer ones are called E.T. stayed home, but the E.D. is in parentheses, because I guess some people are not yet. I don't know. But this is uh, delicious. And uh, sorry, you guys can't have it. This book, by the way, was suggested by a person who emailed us. So thanks, Avery, for suggesting this book. Uh, Avery said that when they read it, they didn't understand any of it. And <laughs> so much crazy <laughs> shit happens that they think us talking about it might be funny. I agree. I have no idea what happened in this book. So let's... Oh, this book has to do with you know, um, this beer. The main character, Seth, she S- it's stays Setha, in... I believe. Is it Setha? I said Setha. Seth in my head, but I like Setha um, more. I'll trust the guy who listened to the audiobook. I did not listen to the audiobook. Oh, damn. <laughs> but I did watch the beginning of the movie last night, so... Oh, uh, okay. Couldn't stick through the rest of it, huh? <laughs> no. Toni Morrison did not want a book, did not want a movie of this to be made, and did not want Oprah to be in it. Both good decisions. <laughs> <laughs> if only they had listened. You've got That's a sick. ghost. So <laughs> you've got a ghost and you've got a ghost. Everybody gets a ghost. <laughs> so Seth o, or Seth, whatever her name is, she stays in a house that is clearly haunted. She stays home. There you go. And no one will speak to her, so she just stays home. Except when she like works. I don't know. So let's let's go through the book. It's really weird. So the book is written in a very I want to say dreamlike quality to it, in that it can shift into flashback in the middle of a paragraph and then go on for pages and then shift back from flashback in the middle of a paragraph and go on for pages. And you're like, uh, wait, what? So, and not only that, but like many things, it's the plot is told very much out of order and you only get a little bit of an idea of what happened right in the beginning. And then you gradually figure out more details as it goes along. But then there's also stuff that, kind of seems like magic and or hallucinations and maybe it is and maybe it isn't it's actually very hard to tell i definitely said you say wait what at least every two pages <laughs> i was trying to read it quickly so there were times was, which was not a good strategy for this book no yeah no what I, I'd be like, wait a second <laughs> who is who's talking now when <laughs> and, and it's purposely unclear and i think uh for you know, for a for to achieve a certain effect, 
about memory or something, but it is a difficult book to understand. I feel like this is a perfect book for a class. <laughs> like, I need a Sherpa. I think this was a book that was not designed for our medium, which is read this book as fast as you can because we're recording. This is a book where you need to read like 15, 20 pages a day and then yeah. let it sit and then come back to it again the next day. After the beginning was pretty confusing, I decided that I'm just going to go to Wikipedia and I'm going to read the plot synopsis. Even though I was only, you know, 20 or 30 pages in, I thought I got to do this so that I know what's going on. So when I'm reading it, at least, so at least I have some idea. So, and I think that helped. You need to recap every, every few pages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh, it's about Setha. So, I mean, I don't know if we want to explain it chronologically or we want to explain it the way the book lays it out actually that would be impossible because it's it's very confusing that way oh but first you just find out that there's a house it's right outside cincinnati there's a woman that lives there with her daughter so it's setha and her daughter denver two very strange names she's a huge Uh, john denver fan yeah just just you know (laughs) loves that rocky mountain high uh and then uh did he do take me home country roads Yes, he did. Okay, and then a man named Paul Paul D walks up and is short like, for D's nuts. Man, <laughs> I was thinking it. <laughs> and the sort of first part of it is kind of told through the eyes of Paul, I guess, because he's well. You find out that he knew Setha, and you find out that that, that the year is eighteen seventy three, but eighteen years before that, in eighteen fifty five, right? Did I get the math right? Yeah, and eight. Approximately. Yeah, 18, 1855, 1856, they knew each other because they were both slaves on the same plantation. Uh, and that at one point, you know that there was an escape and that Setha escaped. I want to say they were in North Carolina. They're in Kentucky. Kentucky. Kentucky to Ohio, which isn't actually that far. I mean, it's far enough on foot through the woods, but it's not like, you know, Alabama to Canada far so anyway you get in and one of the next early things you find out is that there are sort of you get these flashback sections where you where it's setha during her escape like she has run away and she's nine months pregnant and she has been basically walking through the woods alone for days and she's literally her water broke and she's giving birth and she happens to in the woods run across a white girl who's also in the woods for reasons it doesn't really make she's sense. She's kind of a hill person. But she's kind of a hill person, but this person whose name is Amy Denver, she, for reasons, because I guess she felt like she was one, needed to be nice, helped this runaway slave, Setha, give birth in a boat on a creek somewhere in Kentucky out in the woods because you just decided to help her. But there was something like, not only was this white girl very strange, but she kept saying that she was going to Boston to get red velvet. She well, said that the nicest multiple material. times. It's like, it's the nicest time, but they call it carmine instead of velvet. So anyway, I have a beer for that. <laughs> this one's pretty on the nose. This is by Finback. It's called Red Velvet. Man. We've had it on the podcast before and or after this. 
It was on in Great the, Gatsby. In the past, okay, so b- before this. And I knew I had a can of this in, as I was reading the book because I felt I had to read it very carefully, slowly and carefully, and it mentioned Red Velvet once. And I was like, okay, that's really close, but it's such a minor detail that doesn't matter. I can't, I can't do that. And then We've, it came done, up we've like, done dumber. It, it's true. But then it came up a two or three more times. So I was like, fuck it. Red Velvet, I'm doing it. Anyway, this is... Imperial Stout with chocolate, vanilla, and cream cheese. And this is my last one left. You know, I love those dairy beers. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Dairy in a beer? Very strange, but this is delicious. It's mostly just chocolate. That's really the flavor you get. Can you drink that if you're lactose intolerant? I think not. It depends, I suppose, on how sensitive you are to lactose, but I think uh, I have seen... Oh, some breweries or some 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 brands will put that on the label. It contains lactose. Like, mm. Well, there's ones that use like the uh, milk sugar straight that's up. Lactose. So that won't be more explicit, I guess. But like, is is having cream cheese in a beer enough? It does. It, I guess it just depends on how shitty your insides are. I guess yeah, I would think they uh, would err on the side of telling you uh, mm. and let you test the waters yourself. Anyway, this is twelve percent alcohol. Ooh. And, oh, right. It's like a big stout, right? I mean, yeah, it's an imperial stout, so. And it's a collaboration with Microphone. Did you get red velvet cake from it? No. But it's chocolate. Red velvet is mostly chocolate anyway, so. Yeah. I'm not convinced that red velvet tastes any different at all than regular cake. It just looks nicer. You're like, ooh, cake on its period. <laughs> <laughs> it's a loose definition of nicer, but okay. <laughs> I, I can't even segue back into the book because I've already lost. <laughs> so she has this baby, and it's unclear, but I guess she had sent her other kids ahead. Like, they had already gotten out. I don't know if they escaped or if they were just set free because she had, in some ways, the nicest slave owners in the world. Well, sort of. Sort of. At first, the when Garners? Setha, the Garners were basically the nicest slave, o- slave owners, though that doesn't seem like it's a thing. But let's just say, in comparison, they were much nicer slave owners than the other, sla- the other guys, also known as school teacher and his nephews, who are yeah. obviously really awful. So anyway, that's the worst band name ever. <laughs> school teacher and his nephews. It's like a band from the 50s. Like opening up for Buddy Holly and his crickets, her school teacher and his nephews. <laughs> this one's called Rock Around the Clock, but go to bed on time for school in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and he sucks. So they you we'll you you get some stories of what it was like on the, the plantation called Sweet Home, where it was Not actually Alabama. I mean, they were slaves, but they were treated much nicer in comparison to, you know, other slaves where that they didn't have to... I mean, the slaves had to work pretty hard, but they were basically nice. But the slave owners, the, the gardeners, were nice the, most of the whole time. They, they taught them to read a little bit, I think. They were... They let one of them, named Hallie, they let him basically work extra on the weekends so that he could earn money to buy his mother out of slavery. Maybe that's how they got which, the kids out, which too. Which he did, yeah. Uh, so, no, they got the mother out of slavery uh, in 56 or 57, anyway. So, like, mm. years before. She was literally purchased... Her son worked enough to purchase her, his mother's freedom, and she goes to Cincinnati. Her name is 
my favorite name in this book, Grandma Baby. Baby Suggs. Every time they said Grandma Baby, it was like... (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny. I'm just thinking of an actual baby as like, but old and crotchety. Isn't there a scene early on or exchange where the owner... It's like Benjamin Button. Yeah. From, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, I think the, the, the sweet home guy, he, he treats the slaves as if they're actual human beings. They, they happen to be slaves. But whereas the, to contrast with the school teacher guy, like he treats them and thinks of them like they're animals. And that's a big yeah. thing for, for Paul D., who I kept thinking of Paul E.D. from uh, Jersey Shore. Uh, <laughs> and like, slaves here, yeah, slaves here. Like, e- equally no. literate. Uh, I think <laughs> I would put more money on, on the slave, the escaped slave. But that becomes a thing later on. Paul, Paul D. reflects on his slave times, and he's like, in his head at one point, like, Garner was pretty sweet. I mean, it's called Sweet Home. Uh, and all the other slaves, except Hallie, were named Paul with a different letter. Yeah, Paul F, so, Paul, whatever. If I understand correctly, and it was kind of confusing, so I might not, all the three slaves named Paul were all half-brothers because they yes, had the same slave mother but not but different fathers, mm. whereas Hallie wasn't, but, but Baby Suggs was not their mother, only Hallie. You know, sometimes you get a sort of first-person perspective from Baby Suggs, and that's also, like, really brutal. It bounces about, around without any warning. Yeah, without warning. So it was definitely very confusing. So Baby Suggs, in her one sort of short kind of section talking about this, she describes about how each, you know, six, she had eight children by six different fathers, but then all of her children were just kept getting sold off. And in fact, at one point, she was basically fucking the slave owner because he had promised not to sell her child, but then he did it anyway. And that's just what it was like for a slave. Not to say it didn't happen historically, but there is an unbelievable amount of rape in this book. So much. That was really, after a certain point, just kind of like numb to it. I mean, I think it, it is written everything like you're supposed to be numb to it. Everything. It's just matter of fact and horrific. And to lighten the mood a bit, this book has the second most amount of people fucking cows of any book we've read. That is I know. true. Uh, where's Matthew Stokos Pulitzer? <laughs> he was <Right>? cheated. <laughs> Definitely cheated. It was mentioned once, and I was like, that can't be what that means, because this book is confusing. And then it's mentioned several more times that the guys, because <laughs> Setha is so hot, and they're like, which one of us will she marry? And to, to bide their time, they just fuck the cows. I don't know why that was in the book. I don't know what that accomplished, but it got my attention. That they're reduced to animals. Yeah, they're the dehumanized. You know, I, I'm sure it happened. I mean, it happens still today with sheep and whales, doesn't it? <laughs> well, that's the national sport, Jim. That's culture. <laughs> it's also a form of currency. <laughs> so Paul arrives at this uh, house, and they're like, hey, welcome to this house. By the way, there's a fucking ghost. And he's like, get the fuck out of here, ghost. And the house shakes, and then it's kind of gone. But but he it, like smashes a table at it. Yeah, he's like, you know, fuck you. Everyone ghost. knows that ghost's weakness is tables. Um, so this beer I got for the general con- seeing a concept. ghost is a chair raising experience. <laughs> <laughs> this beer uh, is not a beer at all, actually. 
Um, but it's called Backseat Bingo, which has nothing to do with this book, but it's from <laughs> the Superstition Meadery. <laughs> oh, mead. This is a Session Mead, no. which is a 6.9% alcohol mead. It's carbonated orange hopped mead with vanilla and lactose. So this is a... We've had a few meads, mostly on those American gods, probably. Beowulf. Beowulf. Beowulf, yeah. And uh, they're normally, what, like 14, 18%? Some of their big, yeah. Uh, So this is session mead, which makes it on par with a regular, decently strength beer. And (laughs) it is, is meat is carbonated, isn't it? Could be. It doesn't have to be. If it's in the can, it's nice. We've had still meads and we've had carbonated ones. Woo! Okay. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goddamn. Tell us about it. It's like a very light, you know, like those Stewart's orange and cream sodas? Mm Mm-hmm. Those old-timey things? Yeah. It's like like a very light kind of that. There's there's a lot of vanilla. Yeah, it's orange and vanilla. Oh, shit. So it basically is that, but it is... It's fucking awesome, and I love this. <laughs> oh, it's made in conjunction with the Wiley Roots Brewing Company. I've never heard of either of these. These are both both first for us, but uh, I'm going to say it's all just downhill after this in my life. Where is that from? <laughs> where, where are they from? Superstition Meteory is in Prescott, Arizona. Wow, that traveled far. Yeah. I don't know where Wiley... It doesn't say anything about Wiley or where it is, but... Uh, they can't be. That's their Wiley. You can't pick them down to one spot. They're <laughs> all yeah. over the place. <laughs> but this is a this is a masterpiece, and oh. I'm a little sad because I am uh, on a bunch of Dayquil right now. So every <laughs> sip of alcohol is just shredding my insides. But I'm gonna chance it because I'm young enough to recover, right? I would say you are. I wouldn't say that for Nate. No, <laughs> Nate's no, just full of close. sawdust. So. <laughs> Nate remembers so much of this book because he remembers slavery. That's really what, <laughs> that's what it is. Nate, Nate, uh, Nate's grandchildren fought in the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> On the wrong side, though. We don't really talk about that. Okay, so uh, going... <laughs> yeah, the, the New Hampshire Regiment that fought for the Confederacy. <laughs> They're really into states' rights. <laughs> the, the super libertarians. <laughs> Free or die, baby. <laughs> uh, okay, so then... Uh, Paul D comes in, scares the tape, scares the ghost away. Like the house shakes, and then he's like, "I'll fuck up your table." And then he's like, "Oh no, but don't do that." And then the ghost subdued, is subdued, and then he bangs Seth pretty much right away. He's like, "Ooh, I'm like thanks for getting grab- rid of that ghost." Let me grab those boobs. <laughs> and makes a big deal about that, and then it's revealed a horrific scarring on her back that looks like a tree. And I was not what is. Does this mean something in the book? Not really sure. We can come back to that. Well, it wasn't actually tree. I mean, it was scarring from being whipped. Yeah, so, but it looks it like just a tree. Is shaped kind of tree like. But then uh, he bangs her, and he's like disappointed after lusting for her and banging cows instead for decades. And he's like, "Ah, that was fine." Well, he's also a uh, violently broken man, as is almost every character in this book. Yeah, sensing a theme. <laughs> And then they have a beer. There's beer. Yeah, he's like, all right, I'm going to bounce. And she's like, no, stay home. And this is, <laughs> he, 
a different E.T. Stay Home from Evil Twin Brewing. This is E.T. Stay Home 6, the new class. And this is... So, a, so which two did you have today? I had nine and six. Oh, I'm sorry? Nice. Which two? <laughs> oh. Six and nine, you <laughs> mean? Ninety-six, yeah. <laughs> nice. It's like when you, when you like, ask... Ass to the back of the head. It's a 96. <laughs> it's like, is this right? Like, this doesn't seem right. You just, like, nuzzle your hair into someone's crack. Ooh. It's like a weird snuggle. Okay. So this, <laughs> this is a sour ale that is 5.55% alcohol. It's Brewing very exact. Peach. Yeah, right? Peach, papaya, pineapple, and passion fruit. I want to ask, next time we're at a brewery, if we ever get to do that again in, in this lifetime... How they get those measurements? Because there's ways as a home brewer you could do it. I'm sure they really have a much rough. better machine. But the, I was looking at how do you actually determine it? And you need to send it. You need to some, some some substantial lab equipment to like determine the exact alcohol content in the beer. I'm sure that they are. They kind of. They probably have to have that so they can put it on the can. Otherwise, they have to get it sent out every time to get it tested, which takes too long. Would be expensive. So at some point, if you're a big enough brewer, you're going to have to have that equipment on hand. But I wonder if there's just a range of acceptability on that as far as the law is concerned. If it's like plus or minus a percent and they could just throw that on there and like, yeah, we're pretty close. Well that's the first that's like maybe we've seen one other where they go to the hundredth place. Yeah, and it was probably something that was like a joke one, like six point six six percent. I think it was. The beer of the beast. <laughs> but anyway, this is a five and a half. Isn't that all beer? <laughs> this one is far more tart and then the stay home nine. And it's all P words. Oh, yeah. Well, the other one's it's full of polliteration. <laughs> well, the other one was mostly A words, but it had brown sugar in there. Ooh. Yeah. Some of the slave owners were into that. Uh, anyway, this is, um, you do get, I get a lot of pineapple. I really don't know what papaya tastes like by itself. You know, it's always just an ingredient in fruit cocktail things. Yeah. Not really. It's one of the orange, is the orange one? With those like big, Big black seed things that look like uh, bubble tea. <laughs> <laughs> this is fine. I prefer the sweeter ones. This is a little tartar. And it's so, so much fruit in there. I'm getting a heartburn from, from the acid. Do you think they'll ever make a uh, sour beer with actual tartar sauce in it so they could say it's tart? That sounds abominable. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds so bad. Oh well, they God. also put <laughs> fried upsetting. fish in it too. No, you dip it's the like, fish in it. <laughs> In the beer. It's so you it's so you can have the beer and the fish and chips. No, and no, just it's without battered. The sauce. It's Ooh. beer battered, but with tartar sauce beer. It's it's just efficiency. Dear yep. God, <laughs> that's horrible. What is Trademark. tartar sauce? Is it vinegar or something and some other shit? Like mayonnaise, probably pickles. Mm, yeah, we really. Don't I could know. be wrong. <laughs> no, I don't know. That beer was brought to us by our pals over at Patreon. Uh, so some people are, you know, maybe you, the noble listener, maybe not, but some people are much cooler than others, and they head over to patreon.com slash drunkguysbookclub and contribute towards this podcast because they are independently wealthy, I guess, and they, <laughs> in return, get untold treasures and glory. They're not uh, really untold because we tell them every time, but... Till this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Till uh, since last week when we told it then, too. Oh, Yeah. And on the and, website. And, and many weeks before that as well. Well, uh, un, unrivaled treasures and glory. How's that? That's you true. You can vote Go in our it. monthly book poll. Uh, you get to uh, uh, hear 
every episode two full weeks earlier than everyone else. So you could re- you could listen to it and then just pretend you already read the book by the time the episode comes out for other schlubs. When you listen and to it how, again. Yeah, then you could like you could even try to make the same jokes we make beforehand like you're a psychic. <laughs> you could do that. You also get uh, access to exclusive Patreon-only content. At this point, you, we're doing a deep dive read-along of Don Quixote uh, that, you know, every so often another section comes out, so we encourage people to read along. And if you go to the highest tier, we'll even send you a copy of the book to read along at home, as well as a sweet official Drunk Guys Book Club sticker for you to deface or decorate the surface of your choosing. And you could even get the greatest beverage vessel, the Drunk Guys Book Club pint glass. Holy shit. Wow. I don't know. We legally can't give more. It's unbelievable. And by legally, I mean we just we're just financially unable to give. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're unless you give us a lot more money, yeah. If we had way more patrons, I have money. two kidneys. I don't need both. That's true. And the clock's ticking because every week more beers are going through that body and pickling the insides of Jimmy. <laughs> I think the kidneys are safe. I mean, mine are any good because I get stoned, so you might not want mine. Oh, God. I don't know if that transfers. Let's do it for science. Science. Okay, so back to the book. Um, then we eventually get a new character shows up, a young, younger woman. So Paul D. decides to take... He's trying to get on I can't Setha not and Denver's good D. side. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Every fucking time. We'll he just takes call her to the Paul. smush room. <laughs> let's just call, yeah, let's call him Paul. Let's <laughs> we'll call him Paul because the other Pauls don't really matter. So Paul <laughs> takes Denver and Setha to the circus. Right, brother. Sure. And, and they <laughs> and they have a very nice time. But when they come back, there is a random girl just like out in front of their house, and no one like what the hell? And she's like delirious and needs water. But, and she's like, you know, about 18 or something like that. And then they ask, what, what's your name? What's her name? And she does, says her name is Beloved. And Setha like, takes a really long piss. Doesn't that also happen right around now? Yeah. yeah. She takes an unbelievably long pee that people are like, like timing the, uh, it. Like, <laughs> the, like the Austin Powers unfreezing pee. Yes. <laughs> They're like, wow, good thing we got here. I mean, oh, she's still going. And it's like forming <laughs> rivulets in the dirt. They're like, oh, you got to step over that. Jesus. If you didn't know, I would have had you irrigate my field. And she takes this monstrous pay that is similar to breaking water when a lady does that. Oh, I, I did not understand why the fuck the scene took place. <laughs> it's uh, like, why I is there so much pee? <laughs> some heavy symbolism. It's like, break, she, like her water broke. Gotcha. And she I think water. that's probably too much water for water breaking. I have been told by one lady who had a baby that she just thought she peed herself when her water broke. And, uh, and I was like, oh, gross. Baby. <laughs> so Seth, Seth I mean, is like Niagara Falls just erupted from her. Yeah. It's like, um, like at the old-timey baseball stadiums, like that trough that like a whole bunch of dudes just peeing at the same time. Yeah. Like, and you just sounded like a hose going off. Like, that's what's happening. She started a new tributary to the Ohio River. <laughs> she the, the sea, she she broke several levees. <laughs> All right, so then uh, they take beloved in, and then she sleeps for like a week or something, and they nurse her back to health. And they're like, and, "What the fuck is that? But, Who is she?" 
but she, <laughs> it came from the haze. <laughs> <laughs> Even more keeping the faith. Yeah, I was, it's always, I'm always <laughs> thinking of that fucking thing. Uh, this is It Came From The Haze, a hazy IPA, hazy IPA series number four. I guess this is a series that they just did, even though people just make those all the time now. From no, they're copying Lou Bega, the, Lou, the Mambo <laughs> number five model of naming things. Yes, this is, this is the Lou Bega version of hazy IPA from Ghostfish Brewing in Seattle, Washington, the Pacific Northwest. The specifically Pacific Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a weird, subtle, almost minty bitterness. Hmm. It's hmm. odd. Does they tell you what hops they use? Trident. EXB 10416. Lotus, Lemon Drop, Mosaic, and Chinook. Oh, this is a gluten-free brewery. Oh, okay. Uh, that's why. It doesn't taste like there's mint in it, but like the aftertaste has got like this weird after you had like a really strong mint and like it's gone, but you still have like that flavor. Also, you know when you, you're not supposed to um, brush your teeth and then have orange juice because the flavors don't mix? Maybe that's what's going on. I'm drinking this fucking orange mead, having this weird ass mint beer, and it makes it fucking hmm. bizarre. I'm going to try I'm going to switch back to the orange one and see what happens. If I die, that's Would what My question is... Do you think gluten would have improved that beer? Honestly, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I mean, gluten doesn't have a fucking taste, so I don't. But we've had we've had a few gluten free beers, and they haven't been that good. But I don't. They're always. No. I don't know. I don't think it's the lack of gluten. I, I don't know. Well, it's whatever they use in place of standard barley. It's like xanthan gum, <laughs> weird space shit they put in there, <laughs> like characters from a Scientology uh, book. Can they remove gluten and still use that? Is that a thing that people can do these days? Is this some sort of uh, vegan sorcery that I'm aware of? I think vegans can just remove pleasure from things. I don't oh, know if they well, can actually remove the gluten. Yeah, they just remove like the fun from a room. So they use they use substitute. They don't they don't like remove gluten and still use the leftover bits of wheat. I don't I don't know what the fuck I don't gluten know. is because I know it blows your dick off. I know that from South Park. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But this is an this is an odd one. I had the orange one again, and the orange one is still banging. So it's not it's not that, but it's it's unique. It's only forty eight IBUs, but this is not like normal hazy ones because the hazy ones are usually a little sweeter, at least somewhat. Mm-hmm. This is not though. If you found a beer in the forest growing out of a tree, <laughs> I think that's what that would taste like. I know it doesn't make any sense. But neither does this book. <laughs> so I'm going for Inception. symbolism. Ince- Ince- I'm not sure that's Inception, but I'm going to s- agree Inception. <laughs> okay, so back to this book that doesn't make a lot of sense. So anyway, uh, we really did read it. Trust us. We really did. <laughs> I liked it. I read I it. I still don't know what very happened. Very <laughs> carefully. Because I had to just to figure out what the fuck was going on. So, And I've read the plot synopsis first. So after a while... Paul D. No, actually, so after a while, um, Beloved, the weird girl, gets better and then fucks Paul D. <laughs> they go to the just, smush room. Yeah. <laughs> For just, he, he kind of feels weird about Setha and then he's not sleeping in Setha's room. He's sleeping downstairs and then Beloved is like, oh, and then they, then they sleep together and 
Paul suddenly feels really uh, guilty, and he's like going to tell Setha, but then doesn't, and then says, will you have my baby, which is also like very strange. And then uh, a little bit later, a man a ma- uh, named, an older man named Stamp Paid goes to the house. No, goes to find Paul because he's working somewhere. He's like slaughtering pigs or something like that or hauling them. Anyway, maybe fucking them too. I don't know. <laughs> Seth was busy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, tells him, like, uh, listen, I got to tell you something. And he has a newspaper clipping. And he's like, huh, but Paul can't read. So he's like, listen, I'll, uh, that's a picture. Oh, that's a picture of Setha. Though, did they really have photographs in newspapers in 1856? I don't really think so, because the first picture camera had only just been invented. So the ability to print those in the newspaper, I feel like, hadn't really come along. It was like a Maybe sketch. it was like an outline. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, and he tells her, I need to tell you what happened. And this is where you find out the truly, well, the most horrifying thing in the book, which is saying something, because there were a lot of really horrifying things. But uh, <clears throat> you find out that when Setha, she escaped, and she escaped to Baby Sug's house, the house that she's living in now. This is 1856. And she, she arrived with the baby that, she, that was born on the way, but she had packed her other children away with the other people escaping. So her other three children, yeah, her other three children were already there. And baby Suggs was taking care of them, yeah. Two sons who have now run away. They were afraid of the ghost, so they ran away years ago. Uh, And then... A toddler. And then a toddler, or like a one-year-old, a two-year-old, something like that. Uh, Which is Denver, right? That is not Denver. No, no. Denver is the one that was born on the way. So she was there for about a month, and the evil guys that with, with a, in a slave catcher come to take her back. So then you, you actually, before that, you found out a little bit about how when Mr. Garner on Sweet Home died and Mrs. Garner was very sick, she asked her cousin or nephew, who's just called school teacher, to come help her take care of the plantation, and his nephews come too, and they're just like the worst, like really, really awful. But anyway, she milk. sees she she, like they, they steal her milk. Times. Very weird. But anyway, so they find out. So Setha sees them coming up the road, and she knows exactly what's about to happen, which is that she's going to get captured and and you know sold back into slavery along with her children. She, she is uh, justifiably fearful of them because at some point that they hint at a lot, uh, these people did gang rape her and drive her husband insane. Right, when she and her husband tried to escape, the husband was hiding in, like, the, the hayloft or something. Yeah. And they this is when they took her milk. That She was pregnant, I think, right? Or she was nursing. Yeah. Mm. And they raped her, and then, like, did they, like, drink from her boob? It's like... Yeah, that, that's, that what what that's what it is. That's what I think happened, right? Might, yeah. Might be and, and then, after that, whipped her, at, to, and that's what the tree scar on her back is. So, anyway, right. she's very, uh, justifiably scared, so she takes all of her kids back behind the house to the woodshed and where she is going to kill them so that they don't have to become slaves. She only manages to kill one of them before she stopped. She, with the baby. The, which is the baby. Not the infant, just like, but the one-year-old. You, it, it's not said specifically, but then until a little bit later, but she, she saws through the, the child's neck with a saw. 
She cuts through the child's neck with a saw. And it's dead. And when that happens, uh, the uh, school teacher and the slave catcher see her, see it, and obviously, and um, Stamp Paid was actually there, too, because he was there helping out with something. So he sees it, too. So he was there. He knows what happens. And at that point, school teacher says, oh, no, this one's crazy. This one, we can't, we, we can't take her back. It's not even worth, there's nothing, there's no money to be made here. <laughs> yeah, it's like They're you can't like trust her. Yeah, she's ruined. And so he actually goes away, but then uh, Setha gets arrested. Baby Suggs, who was in the house at the time, comes out and kind of takes the rest of the kids and, and, and helps them out, even though they're pretty traumatized as well. But then you find out that afterward, when they buried that child, um, that there, were, there was only enough money to write one word on the headstone, and that Doesn't was beloved. Uh, sleep with the guy to have him write it or something? Yeah. She trades banging him so he can carve the one word. Because she hears the phrase uh, at, the, at the funeral, say, dearly beloved, and she just can only afford beloved. I don't know if the child even had a name. No, I didn't. So that's a bummer. Yeah. Wish I had another beer to open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I had another beer, too. Uh, so that's the kind of like the main thing of the story. Oh, and by the way, uh, in the little author's note by Toni Morrison... Her inspiration for writing this book was an actual newspaper article from an 1856 newspaper of this exact event, or at least a mother that, just, that killed one of her children in, to keep the child from being sold back into slavery. So this is kind of based on something real. Margaret Garner was the slave's name, or the woman's name. She was no longer a slave. Hmm. So you can look it up if you want to read some really fun stuff. And you, you kind of have to piece this together of all this stuff that happened, but you you're eventually are kind of able to figure it out. And this is only about, this is somewhere around halfway through the book where you find out about this, even though it had been hinted at several times, including right in the very beginning, opening with just the gravestone of beloved, that says beloved on it. But it's not explained really why. I mean, and there is more story, but this was kind of the point, the part that mattered the most. Well, it's more I mean, part of this, as you said already, everything's out of order and purposely obfuscated. The The other part of the story is like how Seth like, reveals this to everyone else and how they react to this horrific event and how she had mm-hmm. tried to basically forget it and wouldn't allow herself to remember the past in any way. Everyone in town knows this happened, which is why no one talks to her. Or, like, no one comes to visit the yeah. house because it's, they, they're all very superstitious that it's haunted because, you know, the kid didn't die right, so it's going to be haunting. And uh, they were right. Uh, the baby did come back. But now it's a, it's a girl who is the age she would have been had she not been killed. But for yeah. some reason, only Denver knows right away, like, oh, that's my ghost sister. Mm-hmm. Well, because she's worried that the sister's going to, like, take the mom away. Yeah. That's like the conflict between those characters. But then there's another thing, like you find out later that when they, when the slave catchers find um, Seth and her kids and she has the dead child, she has the blood on her and she's nursing Denver and Denver is basically drinking the milk and the blood of her dead sister. It's grim. Yeah. (laughs) But that's why there's like a blood brothers, blood sisters kind of bond between them there. And then Paul, Paulie D, he tries to leave for a while. Not DJ Paulie D. 
No, DJ Pauly D does not leave. We wish he would. <laughs> he's he's still around somehow. And uh, D, Paul D goes away, but he's like hiding somewhere. And also in flashbacks, you find out about Paul and that he had, he well, he, about his life on a chain gang, which was also truly horrifying, about how they were like basically just all him and the other convicts were locked up in a pit overnight every night. And, and just other beaten and raped. Yeah, and beaten and raped by the guards. And then, but they, all the convicts were able to escape one night because it rained so much that they were able to kind of like slip out of their little cage, underground cage thing. But they were still all chained together. So they were running still chained together through the woods. And that's actually how he escaped. And he managed to get all the way to Delaware. I forget which Native American tribe eventually Cherokee. helps them. Is it Cherokee? Mm. Yeah, to break yeah. the chains for them. And these are the Cherokee that had resisted being sent to Oklahoma by our dear president, Andrew Jackson, in the Trail of Tears. <laughs> you ever see that? Remember the uh, America the Book by uh, The Daily Show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When there's like the history part, they have, you know, like history textbooks have those like little inset quotes and shit in the, in the margins. Yeah. And they had fake ones in this, of course. And one was, listen, Chief Crybaby, you're going to take those swamp lands and you're going to like it, Andrew Jackson. <laughs> And every time I think of the Trail of Tears, I really think of how Solomon event that was and remember that quote. <laughs> it's probably kind of how it went down. He probably cursed and used a lot more racial epithets, though. Like, you scurrilous knave. You know, like some like, old-timey... Andrew, ja- Andrew Jackson hogwash. was not a highbrow motherfucker. No. Isn't it, there's a story, and I don't know if this is actually true, that he had a parrot that could talk, you know, as parrots can do, but it at Andrew Jackson's funeral, it was swearing so much <laughs> that they had to remove it from his funeral because <laughs> it was swearing too much, which to me just sounds like an awesome parrot. <laughs> <laughs> I want one of those. I fully believe that. I don't care if it's true. I believe it, which is how history should be. So they got this ghost lady living with them and shit's all fucked up and weird. Like Paul kind of leaves because he's, freaked out and then Seth kind of goes crazy goes a little bit crazy after that and they've got this weird ghost girl who's like getting bigger or something and then Seth is getting smaller and but Seth is like not working anymore so they don't have any money and then close to the end of the book Denver even though she's like you know a 17 year old she's like I think I need to start working now and I think I need to get out of that house and so she does Oh, yeah, you find out more. The, next, the only other really big thing that happens is when you just hear about the night of the escape attempt way 18 years before where all the other slaves on Sweet Home were going to escape at the same night as Hallie, and, uh, which is her husband, and then Setha, and how badly that goes. Like, they're not able to escape, or more like school teacher and the nephews realize that they're about to escape or they're going to try to the one slave named Sixo wasn't that his name Sixo oh and he had the 30 mile woman yeah <laughs> his girlfriend because he had to walk 30 miles to see her every time they're like going to escape but he was already like pretty crazy and but like Setha when he when the when school teacher sees him and realizes oh he's just kind of like too crazy they tie him to a tree and set him on fire and set the tree on fire and just burn him. 
And yeah, all all the all the slaves that like the the brothers or half brothers of Paul D get killed in different. Her like one gets lynched and one gets burned, and Hallie goes crazy, and Paul D has to wear like a like a bit in his mouth. Yeah, he's like a like a bridal thing in his so he has to wear, and he realizes that the is like a passage. He realizes the rooster is more free like the than he is, and that it's grim. Fucks him up. It's grim. Yeah. This is a relentless onslaught of uh, horrific things. In the end, I honestly, I'm not 100% sure why or how, but the ghost leaves. Like, they chase it off. Someone chases it off, or she just goes back and disappears. And, yeah, for the life of me, I don't... And Paul goes back with Setha, and then... And Denver's making money on her own, and it kind of ends, and... It ends as confusingly as it began and was in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) And in the first quarter and in the third quarter, you know, all those times. So that's the sense we could make out of it. I kind of have a few questions. Got a few. Um, I mean, more, I mean, what the plot is what it is. Like, I I don't, I mean, you could, I'm sure a person, a better reader, a more uh, careful reader will, will pick up on all other things. But why was it told this way? That's what I, my big, like, why, why was this the, what was the effect she was going for that she told the book in such a confusing, hazy way? That can't be, it's not that she was like, I don't know, this will be fun. And like, that had to be very purposeful. It, okay, so I could, I'm just going to guess, though I'm not an English teacher, but my guess would be something about the comment, a, a comment on just the fact that slavery broke people and that slavery broke up people's lives to the fact where they had, you know, so little control over them that they, a slave's life didn't seem to make sense a whole lot either. You know, so maybe, maybe it's done somewhat for that reason. So there's uh, baby Suggs doesn't want to be purchased at the end of her life. She's like, what's the point in being free, right? That one, she's, it gets, there's no sense. Like life is shitty and horrible what good is being free going to have? And then she gets free and she's like, oh, it's fucking sweet being free. <laughs> but yeah. holy shit, I was wrong. Because they, they literally have no knowledge of anything else. Right, and then all these, you know, so I think, I think, I think that makes sense, what Nate said. But maybe also, like, this book was written in 1987. Like, I don't think anyone needed to be told that slavery was fucked up, hopefully, but... Even though it seems like in 1987, everybody should be aware of this. And everybody should be aware of it. But that's kind of different than everyone actually being aware of it. And I think to this day, lots of people don't, under, don't really sure. understand what it was like. No, I'm not, I'm not getting like. going to like buy into like There's the myth, like, most slaves were happy. Like, that kind of bullshit. That's because you didn't go to school in Texas where that's in the, uh, where it's in the textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think... Another purpose might have been to show, like, not only how this fucked up an individual slave, mm-hmm. but how it was detri- des- destructive to just black people post-slavery. Like, because all the characters struggle to yeah. remember things, and all the characters are fragments of a person. And, you know, there's, like, a, line, a phrase at one point, referred to like, the self that's not a self or something like that, or the self without a self is, like, a phrase. There's a lot of... Interesting phrases, like, you know, if I was in an English class, I would have paid better attention to. But I think there's that element, too, that show, like, post-slavery, these were, you know, freedom was great for baby Suggs, and freedom was important, but these were still 
deeply damaged individuals. And that just doesn't go away when the sh- literal shackles of slavery go away. That's what I was trying to get at. I found this quote from Toni Morrison from her interview uh, uh, in Time magazine. I, I, I couldn't find the whole thing. I just found this excerpt and the whole interview has somehow disappeared. But she said, I thought this has got to be the least read of all the books I'd written because let's it is because it's about something that the characters don't want to remember. I don't want to remember. Black people don't want to remember. White people don't want to remember. I mean, it's national amnesia. I think she said this for her. Well, actually, won her Pulitzer in '88. This was 1988, which was a much different time compared to now, where people are starting to more so talk about like, yes, slavery was really fucked up. We're still feeling the effects now. In the 80s, they were like, no, cocaine's great. (laughs) It was more American (laughs) psycho than beloved. Yeah. Slavery wasn't rad, but it was okay. Let's go to a mall. (laughs) I think there is a, I think for a lot of people, there is a tendency to, or a a temptation, like, let's not worry about that anymore. That's a long time ago. And... Certainly, uh, it would take a more knowledgeable person than us three dopes to explore the race issue in America, but <laughs> and we certainly shouldn't. <laughs> but I think that there might be something to that too. Like, like you know, on the very surface level, I didn't own any slaves. You didn't own any. We, we were not. We don't know anyone who did. Why should we bother ourselves with that? Just like I don't bother myself with thinking about feudalism. You know, so some people will think like that, and then you just kind of ignore it. And that's probably not a very good solution as we're seeing in this (laughs) moment right now. It could be said that this book is more, not more relevant, but more timely now than when it came out among everyday people. Like people who were into like literature and, you know, people that were down with everything going on. Like, yeah, I know slavery was bad. Sure, definitely. But the average person, I don't know. Also, it it is fucking hard to read. And I say this as someone who, I, I did like this book. I I liked... I don't like being this confused. <laughs> d- yeah. You know? I mean, but I also like Cormac McCarthy books, which are sometimes opaque. Just like, what am I reading? But, like, it's, on a surface level, it's a weird horror book about a ghost baby. And that's fucking weird. But, you know, it's obviously a metaphor of some kind or, you know, of... Clearly, a metaphor for being haunted by slavery and our struggle with it as as a country and a people. But it was difficult to understand in almost every page. But it is something that I think if we really took the time or had someone leading us through it, it would be a completely different experience. Rather than just reading and be like, "Okay, I'm already going to read it on Spark Notes and find out what the fuck that meant," because I lost it fifteen percent of the way through. That's why I said this is a great book for a classroom yeah to just casually read this unless you're a fantastic reader and like a literature professor this is a it's really classroom like a college classroom because this is not for kids this was this is one of the things that's most uh, one of the most challenged books for uh school kids because obvious reasons i saw this was recently maybe not a couple years now the ap literature exam somehow used this. I don't know if it was an excerpt in it or it was like on the, state, the curriculum or something and people were pissed off. This is the perfect kind of book for a learn how to read literary novels class. Yeah, it's a giant metaphor. But you need, you need a lot of help to unravel it. Like you need a, you need a, a Sherpa. 
And if I had known that, I wouldn't have suggested we read. <laughs> I think it's definitely something that we should have read. I mean, I'm glad we gave it a shot. Yeah, like sure, I'm, I'm glad I find because I've heard of this. I, so I'm glad I did take the time to actually read it, and I did my best. Uh, and I think I did get something from it. I, I want to say it compa- of all the books we've done on the podcast, it's most closely related to the Underground Railroad being the other book about slavery oh, yeah. we've done. So the thing is about the Underground Railroad is the first chapter or two is description of life on a plantation and how brutally the slaves were treated. And then it just goes into weirdness, and I didn't really like the weirdness part, uh, and it just kind of changed to an entirely different thing. But this, it's less about the violence on the plantation and more about the rape on the plantation, which I know is also violence. But, but this kind of, what that was the theme going all the way through through instead of just being only only just this part in the beginning anyway so i think this is better than that is what i'm trying to get at have you guys read uh any other tony morrison books uh, i fake not. read song of solomon in high school that's it i read i read uh the bluest eye that's her like really big one yeah and it is fucking grim like like I watching it, i was like oh my god yeah i mean that's that's what she writes about is you know basically how fucking hard it is to be black in America. Uh, but that one was more about um, intra-racism, you know, like different shades, like how black you are physically. And like the girl hates herself because she's very black. And it's, there's a lot of fucking incest rape and stuff like that. It's like, oh my God, Jesus. And it's brutal. It's brutal. So she's two for two and just like, wow, uh, I'm sad now. But Sweet. they're both absolutely, I mean, absolutely, I would say this is worth reading. I, 100%. Even if, you don't, even if you don't get it all, or, you know, if you just want to take your time and read it slowly over two months and read some other stuff, like read 20 pages of this and then go read something else and then come back to this and then come back to this later. But it's Or read it two times through. Just like tell yourself you're going to read it all the way through. Just, yeah. And then you're going to read it all the way through a second time to really actually understand it. Because that's what I immediately thought. Like, oh, shit, I got to read this twice. And I just didn't have time this week. So Read it, then read about it a bunch, and then read it again sometime in the future once it's saturated. Because I know there's a lot in here worth reading, 100%. But if you're just going to burn through it, you are not going to understand it or appreciate it to the extent that it should be. It's not, it's not built for... This is not a, like, oh, I'll just burn through it and see what happens. And, you know, then I'll say I've read it because it's, it, you're just not going to get it. It's not going to be... You're not going to get anything from it. It's not going to be worth it. I agree. It requires meditation and contemplation and really being bummed out a long time. <laughs> like, you need to be prepared for this journey. Even though like, it's like, oh, it's 300 pages. How bad could that be? You know what? It's, it's intense. This is going to sound fucked up, but stay with me until the end. Much like this book... Nothing would sound that fucked up. <laughs> this might be a Jimmy good book. Jimmy fucked a cow. Uh, once. <laughs> this book might be good she was mowing to forward. leave for when you're pooping. Because you have to sit there and do nothing but read this book in small bursts. And really, there's nothing around to distract you. Some bursts are bigger than others. Yeah, so sometimes you might read more, sometimes you might read less, depending on how much uh, White Castle you've eaten. But... You know, anything where you can read it in bursts and just be focused in on it for a little while, let it settle, take a shit and cry, 
and then go do something else. <laughs> but some, something like that, you know. This is not something you're just like, I'm just going to read this for like three hours. Don't do that. Oh, yeah. Or I've got to read this for class. I've got to read it by tomorrow. That's, ooh, That's another downside of what you would have to do if you took it in college where they, you know, shit out books probably faster than we do. Uh, but it is. You, this is not. But if something, you want to shit while reading a book, yeah, this is something you want to. You you need something to pace it. So I mean, yeah, this book is designed for people who can put the time into it that it requires. This is not a book for getting drunk and laughing about. <laughs> but we, found we did out an it. Hour too <laughs> no. late. Oh no, we knew <laughs> yeah. from page twelve probably. Like, oh god, this is not. Oh, yeah. This is not a book we should do. There are just books that we have discussed that we're just like, we're never going to do that because it's just not okay for us to do that. Well, we'll just have Yet nothing somehow to say. cows got in there. I don't know. Cows you can make fun of, but it was I too extreme for regular people, that. which means I won and I will win again this year. We have to work on it. I have, I have, I have, I have thoughts for what we're going to do for Christmas this year, but I don't think it's going to be read this. <laughs> no. Well, this is our gift to you. Several months early before Christmas, we did Beloved. Avery, and everyone else that wanted us to do Beloved, whether or not you knew you wanted us to do it, we did it. And, <laughs> and several people were like, please don't ever you're do welcome. it. I, I, think, I think we are better people for having read it. I do not think we are better people for having discussed it here. <laughs> Probably. That could be the motto for our entire podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Though I do actually think talking about it helps to make sense Yeah. So I think that totally is does. good. I still would not consider myself an expert, though, by any means. I think we're a good... First pass at discussion before people read about it or learn about it where people really know what they're talking about. For this book, other books were usually pretty on point. I have to say. Yeah. No, this one, it's, 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 a, it's a fucking heavy man. There's nothing else you can say about it. It's fucking brutal. Tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And, uh, you know, we might have mentioned already once or twice that Patreon. You can head over to patreon.com slash drunkguysbookclub and support the podcast if you'd like and get all sorts of stuff. Or you just leave us a review wherever you're listening. Just round up to five stars for to compensate for having to read this really just upsetting book. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. 